Welcome to the Liberal Europe podcast, European Liberal Forum project. I'm your host, Ricard Silvestre. Today I'll be speaking with Matthias Sandin. Matthias is the co-founder and executive chairman of the Warp Institute Foundation in Sweden. He's also a former member of the parliament and a former deputy mayor. Matthias is a prolific author and we talk about some of these projects, but our conversation today is about optimism. And before I bring Matthias on, again, like in the last episode, I hope this podcast finds you well, finds you healthy, and finds you determined to fight through this crisis. Some positive signs have been happening in the last couple of weeks. And this conversation with Matthias, it's right on point because we will be talking about optimism. And if we need something right now, it's optimism. So without further ado, stay safe, stay healthy, and I bring you Matthias Sandin. I'm here with Matthias Sandin. Matthias, thank you so much for coming to the podcast. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's it's important to have you here because we're going to talk about something that it's really interesting and really important, and that is um, not only optimism, but how people get the wrong idea that things are going um, badly and they're getting badly every day that we go by. So let's start with that and tell us a little bit why that impression that intuition does not track with what we see in the data yeah um most people at least in the in the richer part of the world are very negative about the future they think the future you know in in 15 years or so is going to be worse similar or worse than than today only a few percent um in different countries thinks it's going to be better than today. If you look at more developing countries um, like Vietnam and Kenya and Ghana and places like that, uh, their people are much, much more um, optimistic. But uh, of course, everyone's allowed to have their opinion. But what I've been doing and a lot of other people have been doing and my fellow Swede Hans Rosling and Johan Noberg and also uh, people like Steven Pinker, who've actually looked at the facts of the world and if you look at the facts of the world, it's really hard to make the case that things are getting worse and worse. Because um, if you look look at really important things like poverty, extreme poverty, for example, uh, the the progress has been just mind blowing. Every day since 1990, 137,000 people has left extreme poverty every day, 137,000 people. That must be one of humanity's greatest achievements ever. Uh, that's just one of the things, you know, we're wealthier and healthier, live longer than ever before. Of course, there are still big problems out there with climate change and, and the crisis with the coronavirus we're dealing with now, of course, still, big problems, still a lot of people living in extreme poverty, for example, but things are getting better and most of the things are getting better pretty fast. I want them to go even faster, but they're, they're getting better pre, pretty fast. But still, uh, people, most people don't know about this. They think if you ask people, um, and Hans Rusling showed this um, 
you know, with his chimpanzee test, um, he asked his, his students some facts of the world. And if they would have just answered randomly, you know, just guessed, um, they would have they would have scored better on the on the results. And, and that's what, of course, what the chimpanzees would have done. So uh, his students ended up with a worse result than than just guessing worse result than the than the chimpanzees. So it's not that they're guessing wrong. They don't know. It's that they have the wrong view of, of the facts of, of the world. And of course, if you think everything is going is getting worse and worse, why, why, why would you think the future would be better? So those two tracks, they uh, go very uh, close together, and that is knowledge, knowledge of facts and an increase in optimism. Let's start there. Then how can we make this happen? How can we have then people being more knowledgeable, uh, feeling more safe, more secure, and also more optimist? Yeah, exactly. And like you say, um, if you know the facts of the world, you tend to be more optimistic about, about the future because, of course, you see the progress and then you realize, okay, this progress will likely go on or there's a big chance that it will, will go on. So you're uh, optimistic uh, about the future. I think, of course, we have to do this in a, in a number of, of, of different way, uh, ways. Uh, but uh, the thing I'm trying to contribute to is that uh, we see a lot of we see a lot of negative news. Um, and um, and you know, if you look at there's also some some facts out there. If you look at um, uh, statistics over uh, the tone in news broadcasts um, since since the 1970s and up until uh, 2010, uh, for example, uh, there was a big research project that looked into the tone in, in, in news uh, in 130 countries, and you see it becoming more and more and more negative. So, at, we, and at the same time, we saw the world getting better and better. Um, like I mentioned before, extreme poverty and, and a number of other things uh, uh, being better, uh, but, uh, the media were reporting more and more negative, so there was a bigger, bigger, bigger difference between reality and 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 the news media. And of course, news media should report negative things and 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 you know of of corruption or things going wrong or 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 airplanes crashing or you know of course they should. But I think if you read or you know watch news media, you should get a balanced view of the world. You should get the negative, but you should also get positive so uh, that's why we've the foundation I'm, I'm uh, running now the warp institute we've started warp news um, for fact-based optimistic news to try to help them balance this um, across the world good thing that you mentioned Institute and I'm going to put the link to uh, warp Institute on the description of the podcast and we'll be talking about that uh, later on but I want to stay here for a little bit because this is really fascinating and me as an avid consumer of news and uh, spending too much time on Twitter, uh, this particularly interests me. And that is, I have a question for you then, which is the typical or traditional egg and chicken question. And that is, do media give us negative news because we want them? Or is it because we want them that the news gives us uh, uh, the negative views? And once you answer that, and I know it's a difficult answer to give, how can we break this cycle? <laughs> yeah, it is difficult. And I, I think it's impossible to really 
No. Uh, but what we've seen is that there's a big demand out there for some other news. You know, people are tired of the of these news, of course. But but then maybe you could be really tired of negative news. And when you see a headline with negative news, you still click it because you know some part of your brain kicks in. And this is also again um, both Hans Rosling and and Johan Noberg and also Peter Diamandis have talked about this a lot you know this this is part of our how how our brain works um and you know back in the day a hundred thousand years ago or so you know it was a pretty good thing to be cautious and a little bit paranoid and you know if something moved over there in the bushes you just you you know it wasn't a really great idea to just go there and check it out you know it could be a bear or a saber-toothed tiger or whatever and you're dead um so being cautious back then being a little bit afraid um, that probably saved your life many times. But now we don't live in a dangerous world like that anymore. So we don't need that part of our brain to help us out. Um, instead, it causes us some 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 problems being over over cautious and remembering and reacting very much to negative uh, news uh, in our surroundings. And Hans Rosling compared it to to sugar. You know, back in the day, if you found sugar, you know, in in fruit or whatever. Uh, it was a good idea to eat eat as much as possible when you when you could because the next week you might uh, might not find any any food like that. But um, but today um, our our body still demands uh, wants sugar, uh, but if but there's no lack of sugar, so you can eat you can eat a ton of it, um, and you you know uh, that's not a very good idea. So in the, in the similar way, we have to try to fight the urge for, for negative news or for, for sugar in our, our, our food uh, and try to break that, um, break that cycle. I also think journalists um, believe that people want this negative news and, um, and that's why they, they're writing about, uh, about it. Um, that's part of the reason, but I'm, I'm not sure that is the case. They could try different things and that might work. For example, in the, in, in Sweden, one of the big big daily newspapers, they they thought that people will not like to read long articles on the internet. You know, people want short things on the internet, short texts on the internet. But then they tried anyway because they thought it's part of our mission to write these in-depth um, journalistic articles, and people love that. And that was the number one reason they started subscribing to the newspaper. So. It might not be that, you know, people are actually reacting that the way the news media and journalists always think they will. Yes, that's a good that's a good example. And strangely enough, I can give you another area where that happened, which was sports. Uh, sports was tending to be more clickbaiting and clickbaiting and shorter news and shorter headlines. And then some sites, they created long pieces and like you mentioned, surprise, surprise, people love to read a long and thoughtful and uh, well-researched piece. Now, uh, let me stay a little bit on this. And uh, uh, the points that you raised were fantastic ones. And I also recommend people, if they want to know a little more about what Matthias just mentioned, there's a great book by Michael, Michael Shermer called Why People Believe Weird Things that explains this kind of looking for paternist patterns in the uh, in nature and then that was imported for us as uh, 
as members of society. Let's talk about gossip. You uh, make the argument that a gossip is actually important when it relates to having a position in the world and understand the world around you. Can you tell us a little, a little more about that? Yeah, there was. Uh, <clears throat> um, yeah, there was back in the also back in the day um, when we lived in much smaller groups than we we do today. Um, uh, it was in, gossip was important to to get to know each other without actually knowing that person. Uh, you know, you you heard heard rumors, you heard gossip about it. And, you know, he did that or she did that, um, and that made you. Um, able to actually trust the people the person or not trust them um of course um but it sort of helped you um communicate or helped you trust people in in the large um group where you where you can have a one-on-one relationship with um with with everyone so so um that has also been an probably an important part of our 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 past uh and it could be um today also maybe but um uh, but now we have, uh, of course, new ways of of, of communicating. Uh, so it might not be that you know might not be that important um, today. And, and a lot of gossip in, in news is, of course, uh, not the good kind at all. Uh, it's just made of a lot of made up stories and things like that uh, around. It. I wanted to, exactly. I wanted to take you to this part of the conversation, and that is. Is it too much gossip, too much gossip, and it creates too much noise? Because now we live in a society with we have gossip all around us on social networks, on the tabloids, on the on the, the casual chats. How m- much it's too much, in your opinion? I don't know really, but it it definitely feels like there there is too much. There's too much focus on small. You know, unimportant things like like that. Um, it, there, there's too much, uh, too much business around um, following celebrities around, and you know whatever they are doing. It's it's uh, it's news. Yeah, the, um, the influencers. And exactly, and I think we should really try to um, raise ourselves a little bit out of that and and focus more on. Um, what we can contribute to to humanity and more start celebrating and following people who do those kind of things um, sure fine it's 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 interesting to know a little bit what Brad Pitt is doing <laughs> but you know uh, it doesn't have to be that that big of a deal um, and, I, and I think we could hopefully change that and you know tell stories about people um, that are not famous because they you know, been in the movies, but famous because they're contributing to to society in other ways. And of course, there's some good examples of that also. Like um, there's a lot of, uh, around Elon Musk, for example, or or Bill mm-hmm. Gates, or people like that. Uh, of course, there's uh, and they're trying actually trying to really achieve something for for humanity. I'm going to stay here on this topic because you were mentioning uh, movie stars, and again. Uh, about pop culture, let's call it that way. Um, pop culture is not giving us a lot of um, help in having a positive view of the world. There's too much, uh, there are too many movies with dystopian futures. And in here, sir, I must say that 
I deduce that you are a Blade Runner fan, aren't you? Uh, not, not really. Oh, uh, you know, you I, broke my heart. I thought you would be a kindred spirit because Blade <laughs> Runner is one of my favorite movies. But I've obviously seen it, and I, you know, I like it. But you know, it's a little bit too dark. Really. Oh, there it is. <laughs> but uh, that—that's one example. There are many more examples of pop culture where we have uh, the kind of future that it's a negative one and it's it's desperate one. But uh, you do raise a good point, and that is there is a discrepancy between this either dystopian or utopian societies that we see on pop culture and what most likely uh, future societies would be. Can you develop a little bit on that? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. First start with the, what, you're, what you're describing. It's, it's, there's a ton of movies and books and whatnot out there um, taking place in the future, and the future is often very bleak, um, often catastrophic. You know, we... There was a nuclear war or whatever it was. We ran out of resources. Now everything is close to hell. Um, and there's some, of course, this is a good start for a plot. I understand that. Um, you want it, You want the start of the book to be bleak and the hero can, you know, fix it or whatever. Uh, sure. But we need more, more other kinds of stories with uh, more of utopian stories um, that we can actually dream of a, Uh, you know, a, a fantastic um, future, the opposite of, of everything's going to hell. Um, and I think you can uh, do some really good stories in that as well, um, uh, in that kind of environment. But also there's, um, um, maybe we should think a little bit about, you know, what, what's what's between uh, the dystopia and the, the utopia. And, and Kevin Kelly, who founded Wired uh, back in the day, Uh, talks about protopia um, that this is sort of something in in between utopian and, and, and dystopia um, of course of course there's a future where there still will be problems um, but uh, the problems are much likely uh, less severe than than today for example if we project a hundred years forward or something like that we we might have a society that You know, climate change is not a thing in any anymore. We, we've solved that. That was a big problem in in the past. There, there will. I'm sure there will be some other environmental problems in that society, but they will be less severe, and they're more of maybe more of making something, uh, you know, perfect or close to perfect instead of having some sort of downside in in you know in, in on on environmental um, issues. So. Uh, uh, I think we should dream big, uh, but also have a realistic view of uh, what can be achieved in in a, in a short um, time. But I think more and more also that it's really important to have a a vision of the future, positive vision of uh, of the future, not just one, but many different. Of course, because that's the that's the key here. We you know, uh, but we could we could. Uh, strive towards something today it's hard to know um you know wh where do we want to go what, what do we want to achieve with with humanity so um uh, we have to dream those kind of big dreams but then you know take it down to the protopia um 
level and, and think of how we actually achieve this in, in the real world. Yeah, true. And uh, I would like to give one last example on pop culture and Protopia, and that is Return to the Future was the first time that, uh, at least for me, when I um, was confronted with the movie, thinking to myself, wow, that's pretty cool future. You know, we have flying cars, we have people running around and everything looks okay. Uh, Matthias, as we come coming closer to the end of our, our conversation, there is a question that um, it's a very important one and, and resonates a lot. And it is, is it naive to be an optimist? How can we uh, unpack that and make people uh, don't go this route of thinking that if they're optimists, well, then they're just silly or people are not seeing the true reality of things? Yeah, that's maybe my, my favorite question because that's something that I really want to uh, change, uh, you know, that people think or say that, you know, you're naive if you're being an optimist because I think it's the exact, I think it's the exact opposite of, of that. Uh, if you're a pessimist, then you're, then you're the naive one. And I mean, in general about, you know, the world's development, of course, you could be pessimistic about a certain topic or issue and you'd be totally right. But, you know, um, and the reason why I think you're uh, naive, if you're a pessimist um, about the future of, of humanity, it's that for at least a hundred thousand years, humanity has made some great progress. A hundred thousand years ago, we had almost nothing what we have today. We couldn't even talk to each other. We didn't have clothes. Uh, you know, we had some very primitive tools, but that was, that was it. Um, and But for a while there, uh, we lived close enough together uh, where um, more people lived close enough together than, than ever before, probably. So ideas started spreading out in, into other groups of, of humans. And And for the first time, it seemed like new knowledge survived more than it died out. So we took two steps forward and, and one back instead of one forward and one back all the time. And since then, we've made some enormous progress, and especially in the last 300 years, not without problems, obviously not without problems, but we learn, constantly learn from our mistakes, make makes uh, things a little bit better the next time around. Um, so why would suddenly a hundred thousand years of progress why would that suddenly end and not just end we it would reverse of course it could happen theoretically it could happen of course nothing is no inevitable but then you have to have a really good reason why that would happen now uh, and i see no pessimists coming up with a really good reason why that should happen. So if you think that, okay, we've had 100,000 years of progress and that's suddenly going to end and turn around, then you're pretty naive. But if you think that pro that progress is going to continue, um, that's very realistic. Um, but of course, it won't happen by itself. We have to make that progress all the time. But I think that's what exact exactly what we're doing. And we have bi a bigger opportunity to do that now than ever before we have more knowledge more ways of communicating than ever before so of course this progress will will go on but it's important that more people contribute to this um uh, very important and I, and i and i wanted this future to happen faster uh, but you know it to turn around suddenly completely naive i think but just just, just for 
a, a little clarification here. When you mean pessimism, then you're not talking about the philosophy like Schopenheimer kind of pessimism where people see that oh things are getting worse but they're gradually worse you're talking more like of a catastrophic kind of point of view which is from one day will be a normal society and the next day will be a dystopia where people we're living on a mad max kind of world right exactly it's good that you you say that because i'm for me, it's not, you know, when I'm talking about optimism and pessimism, it's not mindset first. Of course, it affects your mindset. But um, I and, and, and the WARP Institute is, we're fact-based optimist, uh, optimists. We, we look at the world and the facts of the world and see great progress and, and see how we have made that progress uh, possible. And that's why we're optimistic. We see uh, more of those opportunities. And a, and a pessimist, uh, of course, could be their their mindset, but they somehow think uh, things are going to turn uh, to the worse. Um, exactly, Mad Max or Blade Runner or whatever. Don't say <laughs> bad things about Blade Runner. <laughs> Otherwise, I won't have you back on the podcast. All right, this is a great segue because I'm going to ask you now to tell our listeners uh, what do you do on the Warp Institute, any kind of publication that you would like for people to read, know more, get involved? Yeah, so uh, I, I started Warp Institute. It's a nonprofit foundation based in, in, in Sweden and also um, a couple of people working uh, with us in, in, in the US. Uh, I, I started that when I, I used to be a member of parliament um, and I worked a lot with new, new technologies. Um, and I realized the main focus here when we talk about new technologies is all the problems. Uh, it could be real problems, but especially problems that might occur in 20 years if everything goes wrong, you know, seven times over. And I thought, started thinking, of course, we should think about these things, but it shouldn't be the main focus. Main focus should be the opportunities. So I, I started complaining a lot about that. And then I realized, okay, I'm not really, <laughs> not really you know, so... Let's do something. You needed to be more optimist. Exactly, exactly. Not just complaining. So I, um, uh, I, I founded um, or co-founded the Warp um, Institute, um, and like I said, it's a non-profit foundation, and our main focus is uh, Warp news, uh, fact-based, optimistic news. We have it in Swedish, but also have an um, a ver international version in, in English uh, to try to balance the, the media, the negative media uh, narrative um, out there. Um, but we soon realized also when we started sharing, uh, we started out by just starting a Facebook group and started sharing li a little bit of these news. Then we realized, okay, in a community like this, when you have very when you have optimistic forward-looking people there immediately there's some really interesting ideas born out of that um, community and then we also realized a lot of those ideas if we want to try to make something out of them uh, we have all the resources we need to do that in the community we could crowdfund things or or you need um some if, if you need some engineer skills or whatever. There's always someone in the community that knows uh, have that kind of knowledge. So uh, then we also started uh, not just spreading these kind of news, but also trying to find these ideas and those ideas that we think are important um, to drive humanity forward. So, example, for example, we have a have a space program, warp space program, where we're helping the 
the world's first um, private mission to to an asteroid, uh, which is a small but first <clears throat> step of having a, a future where humans can uh, in, in, in space. Yes, in space. Let me interrupt you there, Matthias, and, and particularly to sure. save humanity for a, from a, an asteroid collision. That that's a great idea. Exactly, exactly. You know, you know why the dinosaurs died out? Yes, that was a big rock. <laughs> exactly, because they didn't have a space program. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. And that's that's the kind of things you can do today with, you know, just the internet. Uh, you can connect people, you can crowdfund, you can crowdfund money or knowledge or whatever it is. Uh, and you can actually have you can be part of space missions today. You can have your own space program today. That that used to be superpowers 60 uh, or 50 years ago, only superpowers. And now, you know, anyone can be involved in that. That's the kind of huge opportunities we have. And how can you not be optimistic when you think about things like that? Do you have something that people can read to know more about this and uh, and get interested in getting in, started participating? Yeah, um, um, check out Warp News uh, online. We also have a podcast also called Warp News. Um, I've also been part of a, uh, a book um, uh, from the European Liberal Forum. Um, it's called Fear of the Future. Um, um, and it goes through the, the things we've been talking about. You know, why are people, why do why do they have a fear of, of, of the future um, and I, I wrote one of the chapters there but there's a lot of other uh, excellent content in, in in that book as well so so please um, check that out perfect I'll put the links to this publication and also the warp Institute and the warp podcast on the description of this podcast in particular where I've been talking with Matthias Shandin Matthias thank you so much for coming to the podcast this was a really a fascinating conversation and I hope to be continued thank you very much for having me the Liberal Europe podcast it's organized by the European Liberal Forum with the support of Movimento Liberal Social in Portugal. This podcast is co-founded by the European Parliament and the European Parliament is not responsible for the contents of this podcast or any use that may be made of it. The views expressed on this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the European Parliament and or the European Liberal Forum. Mm -hmm.